recording live from Cusco, Peru. Um, I've been here for a week and a half. Just It's just exploring mountains and sacred ruins and practicing my third grade Spanish. It's been absolutely magical. Um, I am going to write a blog about it. So if you're interested in seeing my experience and my understanding of the culture here and the beautiful um, ways that people live with the land, you can check it out at um, deeppractices.com. You can go to the blog site. So uh, we're going to jump in, but again, a quick note about format. If you're a first-time listener, I um, sometimes talk about an idea, sometimes I will interview someone, and sometimes I will talk about a question that you have about burnout. So if you have a question about burnout that you would like me to answer, um, please don't hesitate to write to me at kate, K-A-T-E, at deeppractices.com. Okay. We've got quite the episode today. I am going to talk about the origin of the ego, paradise lost, pomegranates, original sin, the origin of free will. Pretty much I'm going to have a nice frappe of science, anthropology, philosophy, with some theology thrown in, and somehow I'm going to tie it all to burnout. So let's jump in. I want to start with what's probably a familiar story to you. Um, there were two people known as Adam and Eve, and they lived in a garden that they called Eden. And they lived in, in bliss in the garden. And there was only one rule. And the rule was that they were not allowed to eat a fruit from a certain tree. And if they ate that, they would get kicked out. That was the only rule in the entire, in the entire garden. And one day, Eve, with a combination of curiosity and hunger and wonder, decided to eat the apple. And now, if you've listened to the story or read Paradise Lost, you know that there's also a serpent involved. Um, I'm going to set that one aside for this episode, like the, the whole ramifications of the serpent. So we're just going to focus on Eve for this one. So she ate the apple, which by the way, um, and this will come back later in the podcast, scholars say wasn't, wouldn't actually have been an apple at that time. And that place in history, it would have been a pomegranate, but, um, and that's actually going to be important later, but for the purpose of this right now, we're just going to keep moving on. So they got kicked out of Eden. She ate it, ate the pomegranate, offered it to her consort, Adam, and he ate the pomegranate. And suddenly they were kicked out of the garden. Why am I talking about this right now? Um, this is a beautiful story that if you look into it deeply, and what some scholars have said it illustrates is actually the story of human evolution. So once they got kicked out, a couple of things happened. One is that Adam needed to start farming the fields. He would earn his, 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 his livelihood by the sweat of his brow, that's what they said. And the other consequence was that Eve 
and all of her daughters, all of women, would experience pain during childbirth. So what does this have to do with anything? Um, essentially, this is the origin story of agriculture and of evolution. And what agriculture allowed to happen was once there was a, um, once we had a consistent and reliable source of food in one place, it allowed cities and civilizations to grow around these, um, around these sites of ag agricultural, um, of farming. And so what cities allowed were um, different, uh, uh, just a huge explosion of different roles that people could take on. Um, which also allowed for things like the refining of art and music and, um, you know, things we, we, we associate with, with, um, the civilization. Not that there wasn't, and I know people could, there was art before then there was, um, music before then there were all these things, but, but this allowed for kind of the, the real, um, the, a refining of it and a, and a, um, a network of deliberate, um, communication between different cities and, and just kind of allowed for um, for civilization to begin to grow. The other part of this is um, what some scholars have said is that once humans started walking upright, um, they began giving birth sooner to helpless babies. And there's a term for it in science that I don't remember right now. But, um, but the... the idea that people that women give birth they would have to give birth sooner because they're in walking upright their pelvises shrunk so they would have to give birth to babies much sooner than they otherwise would and human babies are unique in the sense that they're born totally helpless um and this requires um this requires much more care on the part of the parent for a much longer time to bring that baby into um, selfhood and into adulthood and into um, independence. So that is just kind of an aside about the, um, the birth, the labor pains that were conferred on Eve once uh, she got driven out of Eden along with Adam is what scholars see this as, as a story of human evolution of agriculture and of humans walking upright and beginning to evolve into the, um, the people you see around you today, every day. Uh, but I see the story as going much deeper. I see this story as, in addition to the origin of all these other things, it's the origin of the human ego. So uh, you might remember just a simple little part of the story, which is once once Eve and, and Adam ate the pomegranate, they suddenly realized they were naked and they covered themselves with fig leaves. Um, they were suddenly aware or had become aware or had created this idea of disconnection, that they were separate people. And Eckhart Tolle defines the ego as a false sense, a false self created by unconscious identification with the mind. So what this means is that Adam and Eve suddenly had a identification with their mind. They were suddenly conscious of this. Um, and what many people see this as is a step backwards, right? Thrown out of Eden, they talk about original sin, which I'll, I'll go into later. Um, but th this was a step backwards. 
But actually, this whole phenomenon was a step forwards in evolution. It's definitely not the end point, and we're going to get there. But but it's, it was a step forward in evolution because in with the birth of the ego also came the birth of free will and this creation of a path to higher consciousness. So free will means that we can choose to identify with the ego, with this false self that's created by unconscious identification with the mind. We can choose to identify with the ego or not. So with, with the birth of the ego also came the human choice to identify with it or not. Um, something interesting to think about is the original sin in the Hebrew tradition, sin actually just means that we've stepped off the path. Um, it's not this fire and brimstone thing where you need to repent forever, which, you know, in a lot of ways, that's the, that's the ego at work. Um, it, sin just simply means we stepped off the path and that we need to find our way back to the path, right? So Adam and Eve started kind of off the path. They started by identifying with the ego. And the path that we're talking about here is the dissolution of the ego into consciousness. So that was a lot to take in. Quick recap, Adam and Eve ate the pomegranate, got kicked out of Eden. That is a story of human evolution, which enabled agriculture and um, human intellect to develop. It was the origin of the ego, and along with the origin of the ego also came the possibility of free will. Okay, so we're going to leave Eve right now. We're going to leave Eve, we're going to leave Adam right there. We're going to come back to them. Uh, but right now, I want to talk a little bit about why it's so important to stay on this path that moves toward consciousness. So once again, Eckhart Tolle defined the ego as a false sense of self created by unconscious identification with the mind. A false self. The ego is, and that false self is by its nature destructive. The primary objective of the ego is its own survival. And in order to survive, it requires more and more input in the form of unceasing thought and identification with the thought. The ego is inherently rapacious and destructive. It obscures our, and it obscures our true nature. I think sometimes about um, just a, a, a skin of ice over a lake or over a, over a river and you can't see the river underneath it. I'm, I'm from Minnesota, so I, we see this a lot, this thick, thick ice over our, over our streams and over our rivers. And you can't see underneath it. You can't see the river. And you think if you, um, if you didn't know any better, you might think that it just was the ice. Or another um, great analogy is when you see clouds obscuring the sun. The sun is still there. The sun hasn't gone anywhere but the clouds themselves obscure our connection with the sun. And so the clouds represent the ego and the sun represents the true self in that sense. Um, so our true nature 
if you break through the clouds, if you break through the ice, you find our true nature, which is a connected state of peace and joy. And the ego's whole job is to stop you from reaching that state because within that state, you do not need the ego at all. And the ego is, its primary objective is to survive. So if you're looking for a visible representation of the ego in our world right now, like a large visible representation, I would look at most corporations. Um, I have a friend who works on Wall Street, and he says that they need a constant influx of money at all cost, all cost to, um, there's, there's, there's no other consideration other than the influx of money. And um, corporations are, are often the same way, that their primary goal is to survive. They're driven rapaciously by the goal of more profit. And it's at the expense of everything else. Um, so many corporations we see are destructive to our environment, are destructive to their employees. Uh, they're, they're just, there's, there's no consideration other than making money. So that's, a, that's actually a pretty good visible representation of the ego as it, as it has expanded in our world as we have allowed the ego to have power over us as a culture, these representations have surfaced. Um, without going into it too much, I would say our um, current president in the United States is a great example of um, just a pure representation of, of the ego in our in our country and how politics have kind of coalesced into that um, into that rapacious, insatiable um, need for identification and need for more in order to exist. I have a little story about um, a guy I really admire. His name is John Taylor Gatto. And if you haven't heard of him, he was um, a school teacher in New York City. And he taught for over 30 years in the public schools in New York City. And one year he was awarded the Teacher of the Year accolade for all the teachers in New York City. Uh, at this point, he was close to retirement. He'd been, you know, he'd been in the job for his, uh, the majority of his working life. And he gave, his acceptance speech for this was a speech that excoriated the public education system in New York. Uh, and one of the points he makes in that is that once something becomes an institution, the primary objective of that institution, of any institution, is, it, is to ensure its own survival. So it is no longer the ostensible goals that the institution claims to be driving toward or that the institution started on. Once something becomes an institution, um, the ostensible goals are secondary to the ongoing survival of the institution. And so that is another way to look at a manifestation of ego that we've created these, we've created these entities that are larger representations of what we personally experience. Um, if you're thinking right now, you are 
experiencing the ego. And just a quick note, um, I'm, this is something we'll, we'll come back to, but if, if your workplace seems to have a disconnect between the stated objectives and the actual ones that, is, that it's accomplishing, this is a strong sign that you could be working for an egoic organization. Um, and often organizations like the ego itself fall into these patterns unwittingly. Uh, uh, some very clear examples are helping professions that um, have an objective. So, I mean, I often use education as, ex as an example, but we can look at healthcare, we can look at social work. Um, you know, they all have this ostensible goal of helping people, either children or patients. Um, but if you look at the outcomes of many of these helping professions, you you see that they weren't really designed with the user in mind. So um, often in education, you know, we we talk about helping kids, but if you if you're in traditional classrooms, you see that it's not really set up to support kids developmentally. And if you have ever been a patient at a hospital, um, many hospitals, their you know, ostensible goal is to help you get well, um, but it can be extremely difficult to be a patient in certain hospitals because there's a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of red tape and, um, and a lot of expensive things that you need to get. And I could go more into healthcare at another time, but, um, but the point is that um, institutions are like the ego in that sense, in that sense that they're dedicated to their own survival and only in a secondary way dedicated to achieving the goals that they ostensibly have or ostensibly set out to achieve originally. So the ego works to ensure its own survival. Let's come back to that. What does this have to do with burnout? You might be asking. Um, we're all equipped to dissolve the ego. And often, in fact, the ego itself is a vehicle for its own destruction. Um, if you've ever, if you've ever gotten to the point where something has gotten unbearable, I have a colleague who talks about um, radical self-care. Her name is Dr. Fernita Ware. If you're interested in her work, she's incredible. But she talks about radical self-care, and the idea with radical self-care is that you reach a point where you are finally so exhausted and so um, out of touch with yourself. You're so miserable, really. It, just com it comes down to you being miserable, um, that you can't take it anymore and something needs to change. Um, and that's the idea of radical self-care. And what happens is the ego, if it's allowed to really to run amok, it often eventually backs itself into a corner where you are absolutely, you don't, you might not be thinking of it in these terms, but you know that something absolutely needs to change. Okay. So you, I can see how you're probably, you're thinking now about how that's starting to relate to burnout, but I'm going to come back to that in a second because I want to go back to Eve. <laughs> um, just keep that in mind. Okay. I want to go back to Eve, but I also in fact want to go to the first couple of lines of Paradise Lost. Actually, I want, to, 
let me go to the first few lines and I'm going to stick with the first line. So Paradise Lost, which if, if you're not familiar, is Milton, John Milton's epic poem about um, the Adam and Eve story. He starts with, of man's first disobedience and the fruit of that forbidden tree whose mortal taste brought death into the world and all our woe. Okay, so let's unpack that a little bit. The act of eating the pomegranate created woe and death. So woe, oh, and also quick note, the pomegranate is, Eve would have just eaten it. Like she probably wouldn't have opened it up and eaten the seeds. Like, you know, the inside of a pomegranate, the seeds are really sweet. But she probably would have just eaten it. And the rind of a pomegranate is extremely bitter. So this was um, extremely bitter phenomenon, a bitter experience. Um, this whole um, act of, of disobedience um, to attain knowledge. Uh, so she eats this pomegranate, right? And it creates woe and death. So woe, we look at that concept and it translates... Like one synonym for woe is suffering, which the Buddha described as the result of an unenlightened state. So the enlightenment is the end of suffering. So this act of disobedience created woe, which again is um, the same as suffering, which is the result of an unenlightened state. So this original sin, they're off the path. They're suddenly in the grips of ego, right? And then this idea of death um, arises from a state of disconnection from the universe or from the divine. So truly enlightened people are actually feel or are at one with all of this, and they don't really see death as a construct. So the reason for that is just it's more evidence that this conferred knowledge from eating the pomegranate, that this, this was the origin of the ego. Okay, but where did this knowledge actually come from? Did it come from the pomegranate? Did she eat the pomegranate and all of a sudden, like, conferred through the skin of the pomegranate was this, this original sin? I'm going to argue that the answer to that is no. I believe it was the act of disobedience that launched us as a humanity, as humanity into a new order of things, this new tier of evolution, right? Where we are with this ego in this egoic state, this is a step past where they were. I mean, we talk about um, kind of when we talk about evolution, they were in the Garden of Eden. Really, they were, uh, you could have called them hunter-gatherers or you could have called them um, but it's, it's, you know, I would, I'm really drawing back from 11th grade, uh, my 11th grade anthropology class right now for some of this, but don't worry. I, um, I remember very clearly taught this discussion of the origin of civilization. Um, but, but this was a step toward higher consciousness, right? This idea of free will, this idea of consciousness the fact that there is an ego also means that there must be something to experience the ego, 
right? So this was a step forward in evolution. And it was this act of disobedience that launched us here, right? So if we look at the first line again of Paradise Lost, it is of man's first disobedience and the fruit. That's the first line. And then he goes on to say, of that forbidden tree. But the way Milton constructed that line, it implies that the fruit came from the disobedience of man's first disobedience and the fruit. It's almost like in your, in your mind, you finish the line with the fruit of the disobedience. So the idea that this act was a fruitful act for humanity. The pomegranate itself didn't contain any knowledge, but the act of eating it, the act of going against the divine scripture, the divine rules for this place, that is the thing. That is the origin of all of this new evolution. So here's the deal. We are going to make this a two-part podcast because we're almost out of time right now. So next week, when we come back, I'm going to dive more into this idea of disobedience and how disobedience is a step toward defining selfhood and combating burnout. So that this next next part in the two-part series is going to tie all this stuff together. So it's a beautiful day in Cusco. I am going to go clamber on some ruins right now. And I just want to thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions, again, please email me, Kate, K-A-T-E, at deeppractices.com. And I will connect with you again next week. Ciao.